traveled to Washington this past week and borrowed uh, the official copy of the Declaration of Independence. I have it here with me. And uh, so if you hear sirens here in just a minute, then you'll know that they're coming for me. And so all of you who are veterans will know exactly how to protect me. And so anyway, no, I did not. I, I, uh, but I, I wanted to read something to you this morning as we begin. When, in the course of human events, becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its power in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. And from that point on, the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence in 1776 laid out their complaints against King George III. And what followed was several years of war, several years of bloodshed. That independence that was declared on July 4th, 1776, necessitated that we go to war. Certainly the British were not going to say, well, okay, no problem. You'd like to be independent? We really don't want your tax money anymore anyway, so go right ahead. There was a fight that ensued, and as many of you are aware, if you're not, then surprise, we won. And so today we enjoy the independence that was fought for. Several years later, in 1787, this was written as the preamble to our Constitution. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. And we know that from that point on, the Constitution was ratified and amended several times to ensure the freedoms that we enjoy today, but that Constitution has had to be defended, as Ronnie mentioned, 85 different times. Conflicts and war have arisen because our Constitution, our very freedoms, have been threatened. And so we know that freedom comes at a price. We are not foreign to that in any way. We know that the folks that were standing a little bit earlier fully understand the price that sometimes must be paid for freedom. The conflict that may be most familiar or most famous in the 20th century was World War II. And for many that were on the video, we saw right under that World War II. For others, they fought in different conflicts or served during what might have been known as a peacetime. But World War II, it's estimated that over 400,000 United States servicemen lost their lives defending our country. You think about those people. Those soldiers gave up their lives. They gave up everything. They left their homes. They took on a new identity, 
No longer were they just a school teacher or just a farmer or just an average citizen in their communities. Now they were a school teacher soldier. Now they were a farmer soldier. Now they're an ordinary person soldier. They took on a new identity added to their old one. And then they went to a foreign country to fight for people that really didn't even know them. Many of you probably knew someone who fought during that time, but the majority of the soldiers that fought during World War II, you don't know. I don't know. And yet they were willing to go across the ocean to fight for the freedom that our Constitution provides. After going through extensive training, they departed and fought. Some gave up the prime of their lives. I was reading this week about Ted Williams who in 1941 hit 406 for the Boston Red Sox. For some of you, that means absolutely nothing. That was a really great year yet. For some of you, you think, how did he weave baseball into this? <laughs> I'm good. I'm a fan. But in, in 1941, he hit 406. He's 23, 24 years old. Two years later, 1943, he was flying fire missions in Europe, shot at in the prime of his career. My dad likes to think about, and his dad did as well. They're both Boston Red Sox fans. What could have been if Ted Williams had not given three years to World War II and two years to Korea? Five years in the prime of his career. He finished with 521 home runs. Some people think he could have broken Babe Ruth's record at the time and set a record that no one could surpass. Ted Williams and all-star baseball player, gave up the prime of his career. And yet there are people that we've never heard of who gave up the prime of their lives. People that history seemingly have forgotten, and yet we know the sacrifice that they made, the prime, the best part of their lives, given up to go and fight for the freedom of other people. And underlying all of that was a willingness to lay down their lives if need be. Not necessarily a desire, but a willingness to lay down one's life for the freedom of other people. And few of us woke up this morning thinking about the freedoms that we enjoy. Very few of us woke up thinking about the fact that our Declaration of Independence and Constitution provide for us freedoms that, that we enjoy. Most of the time we take it for granted, and I suppose that's normal. We might not appreciate it as we should. And yet when we get a glimpse of what happened when we see the faces of people who served, when we remember the sacrifice that gave us that opportunity for freedom, our appreciation, our perspective changes just a little bit. And in fact, I, I don't see someone in uniform today without having immediate respect and admiration for that person. And I do my best every time I see someone like that to say thanks because I know they make sacrifices that I don't make. And so... Few of us obviously think very seldom, few of us think often rather about the freedom that we're provided by the American soldiers who have fought on our behalf. And I, and I think that this is true as well. I think fewer of us consider the freedom and victory given to believers by Jesus Christ. And I don't say that because we're somehow obviously in the wrong or anything like that. I just think it, it seldom crosses our mind. We seldom live in light of that. And so... We need reminders of that. Memorial Day reminds us to think about the people who have fought and died for our freedom. And God established a couple of outward reminders 
that He wants us to carry on to this day, reminders of what Jesus did for us. One of those is baptism. We, we baptize because, first of all, the Lord commanded that we should go and baptize it. And we also baptize because it's a sign. It's an outward sign of what's happened on the inside. Baptism does not save a person, and yet it is an outward sign that I have given my life to Jesus Christ, and all the old stuff has been washed away. And when I get raised back up, that's a symbol. I am brand new. All the old stuff is gone. It's also a great picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so baptism is one of those outward signs that God has given us to remember what Jesus has done. He's also given us what we know as the Lord's Supper or communion. And we see, if you've got a Bible, I'd like for you to turn with me as we'll see. It'll be on the screen behind me if you didn't bring one. Don't worry about it. Luke chapter 22, we see the beginning of what we now know as the Lord's Supper, the very first one. I want us to look at verses 14 to 20 of Luke chapter 22. When the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This is the new covenant established by my blood. It is shed for you. So we see the beginning of the Lord's Supper. I want to draw your attention to a couple of things. First of all, what the Lord's Supper is not. The Lord's Supper is not a way to guarantee or to secure the grace of God. It's not something we do to make ourselves right with Him. It's something we do because we are right with God. It is an outward symbol of our devotion to Him and an outward symbol of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus that was given for our forgiveness. So later on in the service, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're not doing that so that somehow God will give us a little bit of points, so to speak, that we'll score something with God and maybe, just maybe, we'll be made right. Or that, well, if I do that, then it doesn't make any difference how I'm living because I've done this, I'm automatically right with God. Now, we have certain denominations and so on that are out in the world today that would teach the exact opposite of that, but the Bible makes it very clear there is nothing we can do to earn or to receive the grace of God apart from God just giving it to us as a free gift and us placing our faith in Him. That's it. The Bible says that salvation comes only by grace through faith. So, for those of us who may be tempted today to say, well, if I do this, and I'm with all these other people who, who appear to be holy and righteous to me, and I know everybody here is. Don't elbow anybody who's not. But everybody here is, right? Absolutely. For those tempted to say, well, if I do this, then somehow I'm made right with God. I did it in church. Isn't that good enough? I, I Certainly, I participated just like everybody. No, no, no. We do this after we are made right with God. The only way to be made right with God is by receiving His grace, by placing your trust in Jesus Christ as your only hope for salvation, not placing your trust in communion or the Lord's Supper. It is a symbol of what's already happened. And so it is not a way to secure God's grace. Something else it's not. It's not for everyone. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul makes it very clear that 
the Lord's Supper, what we will do later on, is only for those who are a believer in Jesus Christ. That's it. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and have committed your life to Him, it's for you. If not, Paul cautions us very, very strongly. Don't do it. Now, I have no idea what might happen to you if you take it and you are not a believer. I'm not God. I don't know what He's up to all the time. Wish I did. Life would make a whole lot more sense sometimes. You know what I mean? But I'm not God. But I do know the Scriptures caution us very strongly. Paul says that as a result, some during that time had gotten sick. Some had died because they took it unworthily. Now, I don't know if God still operates the exact same way. But I know in the Scripture there's some strong warnings against that. Don't take it from me. Take it from God's Word. And so we do this after we have been made right with God. And so if you are a believer in Jesus and are right with God today, then by all means, let's celebrate. And let's take this as a reminder of what Jesus had done. So why then do we do it? Well, we do it because Christ commanded it. Do this in remembrance of me. We just read it in Luke chapter 22. He said, here, do this. Just like baptism, go and baptize. He said, do it. We do it also because the early church, those back in the first century, right after Jesus was gone, they did it. And so they understood this was something Jesus wanted us to do. We also do it because it clearly presents the gospel. The broken body and shed blood of Jesus on the cross. And then he says, I'll do it again with you when I come again, when the kingdom of God comes, symbolizing his resurrection. And so it presents the gospel. We see very clearly the sacrifice that Jesus made. And so also this causes us to remember and then to celebrate what the Lord did for us. And so what is it that we remember today? As we progress in our service toward the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes, what do we remember? I'd like for you to look at the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. If you keep turning to the right in the New Testament, from Luke, go to the right toward the end. And there's a few small books in there. One starts with a PH, Philippians. So if you're not familiar with the Bible, please don't let that stop you. Look it up. The Bible's some good stuff. If you haven't read the Bible lately, I'd encourage you, read the Bible. It'll do a lot of good for you. I don't say that in a patronizing way. I, I challenge myself. Read the Bible. It will change your life. And so let's look at how to be changed here. Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 5. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." What do we remember today as we take the Lord's Supper? First, we remember that Jesus left heaven. He left heaven. If you're following along on the back of your bulletin, you can jot some of these things down. Some of you like to do that. Others don't. Toward the end, make sure you wake up your neighbors so they don't spill the juice on themselves when it goes around. All right. Until then, we'll follow along on the back of the bulletin. We remember that He left heaven. Verses 5 through the beginning of verse 8 say that he did not consider equality with God, though he existed in the form of God. He did not consider that something to be used for his own advantage. 
But instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even to death on a cross. Do you realize that Jesus was worshipped continually in heaven by the angels? From eternity past to eternity future, Jesus will always be worshipped continually in heaven. And he left it. And he came to a place called earth full of sinful people who hated him. You realize Jesus existed in the form of God. He is God. And he came taking on another identity, just like those soldiers who was a, maybe one was a school teacher, maybe one was a farmer. And they were now school teacher, soldier, farmer, soldier. Jesus was God, man, at the same time. He took on another identity. He left home. He went to a foreign territory. He went to a place where people misunderstood him, where they didn't like him. And he existed as both God and man. He was everything, but he made himself nothing, the Scripture says. He did not use his godness to his advantage, but just like those soldiers, was willing to leave his comfort, leave his home, and go and do for other people what absolutely had to be done. He left heaven. We remember that today, and it's a big deal. Had Jesus not left heaven, our world would be a much different place today. So we remember that He left heaven. Not only that, we remember that because He left heaven, He paid what we owed. He paid what we owed and, and what we could never pay. Look at the second part of verse 8. Let's just look at verse 8 completely. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. He gave his life for our freedom, for our forgiveness. This is a huge deal. And I think a bigger deal than we often realize, than we often let be expressed in our lives. I know that's true for me sometimes. Do you realize that we could not pay this debt? No matter how much you may think, well, I'm just good. Yeah, everybody's just kind of good. No, no, no. The Bible says that by nature we are absolutely sinful, rotten, and worthless. Isn't that encouraging today? Don't you love that? And so as a result of that, there's no way because of our sin that we could be the perfect sacrifice that was required. Somebody had to die, the Bible says. We deserve that death. Certainly we know that if you've been in church for very long at all. Hopefully you've been told that truth. We deserve death for our sin, and yet God sent somebody, Jesus Himself, who was perfect, sinless, the only sacrifice that was worthy to pay for our sin, to pay that debt that we owed. He didn't owe it. Jesus did nothing wrong. Don't be confused. Don't be confused by popular opinion that says, well, maybe Jesus did something wrong, and that's why they hung Him on the cross. He was sinless. He took our sin, became sin on our behalf, the Bible says, so that we could then in turn become the righteousness of God. So we get a new identity. So we get a new nature. Jesus took it, paid what we owed, and He did it while we were still sinners. He did it in the midst of our sin, in spite of our sin, and even because of our sin, because there's no other way for us to get to God. He did it in the midst of our sin. And He did it in a way that although we think of the soldiers who have given their lives to protect our freedom here on earth, Jesus did it to secure our salvation for all eternity. So we remember that He left heaven to come and pay a debt that He didn't owe, and we also remember that He is alive. 
and he is alive. Look at verses 9 through 11 of Philippians chapter 2. For this reason, because he was hung on the cross, because he died for our sins, because he was at sacrifice, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is alive. And that changes the ball game. So before we leave him in the grave, before we walk to the tomb and say, well, I guess that's it, we've got to remember he is alive and he is reigning right now at the right hand of God, the Bible says, and he will reign for all eternity. He is alive. And because he rose, he will fulfill his promise to return one day for those who believe in him. Because he rose, we know that death is not the end. There is hope beyond the grave. Some of you have experienced that recently and have desperately needed to know that truth and believe in that hope as you've lost a loved one. Because Jesus rose, there is is hope beyond the grave. We know that death is not the end. Because He rose, we know we'll one day reign with Him for all eternity. I can't even imagine that. I know it's true, but I can't get my simple little mind around that. But I know one day, life will be different than it is now. That I'll reign with Him for all eternity. No more tears, no more crying. No more sorrow, no more sadness, no more death. The Bible says no more night. All pictures of evil. There's no more evil when Jesus comes back. Because He rose, He has defeated sin and death, and He's given us the power to overcome anything that Satan throws at us. So the Lord's Supper reminds us of all that. That He left heaven, that He paid a debt that we owed, and that He is alive. And it also then gives us, the Lord's Supper does, reason to celebrate We celebrate, I think, just a couple of things today, sort of the overarching categories. We celebrate the fact that we are forgiven. We are forgiven. Back in Luke chapter 22, we see again that when Jesus was handing out the bread and the cup, that he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. This is my blood, this new covenant. It's shed for you. Why did they need it to be broken and shed for them? Because they needed forgiveness just like us. And so we celebrate the fact that we are forgiven. No matter what you have done, it's gone. But you don't know me. No, I don't. And it doesn't make any difference. Because Jesus said He paid for it all. It's gone. Those of us who come today into the presence of God as believers in Jesus, we don't come as busted down, broken down sinners anymore. We come as God's precious creation that He sent His very Son to die for. And we come as the righteousness of God because we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't come broken down anymore. We come forgiven. And that's got to change the ball game. We get a glimpse of that. We celebrate the fact that we are forgiven. Not only that, but we celebrate that we are victorious. There's an incredible passage of Scripture that I want us to read. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, some of you may be familiar with this. For others, maybe this can give you a little bit of kind of a pep in your step today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to start in verse 51. Verse 52 will actually be where we start on the screen. Listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. Kind of reminds me of the people in the nursery that are working today. They won't all fall asleep, but we'll all be changed. Uh, In a moment, some of you will get that tomorrow. In a moment, (laughs) 
in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. Because this corruptible must be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal must be clothed with immortality. Now when this corruptible is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are victorious because of the resurrection, because He is alive, because death is not the end. We are victorious. And as a result of that, circumstances don't control us anymore. The financial straits that you may find yourself in don't control you anymore because you serve and believe in a Savior who can provide and what you have doesn't define you anyway. Jesus Christ defines you. Hurt doesn't have to destroy you anymore because Jesus can heal your broken heart. You don't have to be stuck in a pattern of sin because He can set you free. You are not destined to a life of depression. Because there is hope and there is peace in Jesus Christ. Each day is a new start. The Bible says the old is gone and the new has come. Which gives us victory over any habit we may be facing and we want to break. Anything in our life that's holding us back through the inner strength given by the Holy Spirit and through the direct application of God's Word, we are victorious. And so I want to challenge you with this. You are forgiven. And you are victorious. So live like it. Live like it. It's pretty simple. You say, well, that's not very profound. No, I, you know me. I'm not real profound. Live like it. You've got something to celebrate. When you remember what Jesus has done, it's cause for celebration. And that ought to change you. It ought to change me. It ought to change your attitude. It ought to change your worship. It ought to change your outlook on life. It ought to change your devotion. It ought to turn your world upside down when you remember what Jesus has done for you. A few weeks now, we have seen the dramatic change that has taken place in the University of Kentucky basketball program. And I I see your faces. Most of you know if you're a visitor here today, I'll let the cat out of the bag. I am not a University of Kentucky basketball fan, which puts me at direct odds with most of the congregation here today, which is why I didn't say anything about it until the vote was taken back in August and I was in. (laughs) So then I revealed it, of course, and since then half the church is gone and all that. But anyway, I'm a University of Louisville basketball fan, which then puts me at even greater odds. Not only am I not a Kentucky fan, but I'm a Louisville fan. So I'm on the dark side, you know, for most of you, I understand that. But you know, it's interesting, over the last couple of months, since John Calipari has taken the head coaching job at Kentucky, you know they've recruited now and signed five of the top, some of you already know this, you're like, you know, is this news to you? Five of the top 25 players in the country. Cat's Paws is going to come out real soon, you are pumped, because you're going to see it, you're going to know everything about those guys, you already know all this stuff, All right, I'm preaching the choir here. I see in Kentucky fans, this sort of inner rejuvenation that's taking place, And this anticipation of what's going to happen starting in October, November, and December, but more importantly in March, right? And so 
it's almost as if we've already won. It doesn't make any difference. You know what? I'm just waiting to tell that pastor about Kentucky basketball in December when Louisville and Kentucky play, and we'll see who wins this year. No last-second shot. It's going to be a blowout is what you're thinking. And then we'll see in March. We're not missing a tournament again. We're going to win the whole thing. That inner rejuvenation, I can see it. And they had not even played a game yet. Those guys aren't even on campus. They just signed their name to a piece of paper. But, man, here we go, ready to go. You realize that that hope and encouragement that you feel as a fan of a particular team pales in comparison to the hope and encouragement that Jesus Christ himself brings for those who need it most, and that's us. We, we, we haven't even played a game yet in basketball season, but we know we're going to win. That's the way the Kentucky fans look at it. The final game has not been played for Christians, but we know we're victorious. And that's got to change it. It's got to change something on the inside of us. And I love it. I absolutely love it because, it, to me, it gives me such a picture of the hope and encouragement that Jesus Christ brings. I love it to see fans of a team getting, get excited about what's possible. And I want you to get excited today about what is all, already reality, that you are victorious through the power of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we thank God today for those soldiers who gave up everything to secure our freedom and to provide for us the greatest country the world has ever known. And we thank God all the more for Jesus, who gave up everything to bring us forgiveness, victory, freedom, to make things right between us and God. And so as we take the Lord's Supper in just a moment, we remember what Jesus has done, and we celebrate what this represents. But we take it seriously. And we evaluate whether or not we are right with God before we do this. And so for some of us today, we need to spend a moment maybe confessing some sin to the Lord. Say, God, I know I'm not right with you, but I want to make it right today. And before I eat that cracker and drink that juice, God, I'm going to make things right with you. You realize you can't go out and do a bunch of good deeds between now and the time that you take that cracker and eat that juice. The only thing that's going to change you is God's grace and your faith in this moment. That's it proves to you can't earn it. You've done nothing to deserve it, neither have I. Maybe there's somebody in this room that you say, you know what? I'm tired of things being the way they are. I just like to make things right. I know we don't have time to sit and discuss it all during this moment, but you know, I, I'm sorry. Or I need your forgiveness. Can we, can we just agree that, that we'll work this thing out? Paul cautions the, the Corinthians, go and do that. Take care of those kinds of things. And so I, I'll ask our our deacons to come forward and to assist in handing things out. And as they do, let me give you some instructions. It's not very serious instructions, but just so you know and you don't feel like, what on earth are we doing? In just a moment, they will pass to you a plate that has a little cracker in it. Take one. All right, we're not here to fill you up. That'll happen here in just a minute. So take one and hold on to it. And we'll, we'll eat those all together here in just a moment. I'll read a passage of Scripture and pray, and we'll take that together. And then after that, they'll hand out to you a little cup of juice representing the blood of Jesus. And we'll do all that together as well. And then toward the end, we'll stand together and we'll close in a song as we normally do. And so as Jan plays and as these guys hand out the elements of the Lord's Supper, I want you to consider this. Is there anything in your life that needs to be confessed to God? or to someone else.
Paul says in Corinthians, take it when you are right with God. Get right with God this morning. You may say, I don't even know where to begin with that. I'm going to be standing right up here. And I'm not trying to embarrass you or call you out. But I would absolutely be thrilled and honored to be able to tell you for the very first time how you can be made right with God by praying and saying, Jesus, I need you. You are my only hope. Forgive me for my sins. Make it right with God today. So do that. Spend a moment in reflection with God, praying, or maybe going to someone else as these guys hand out the crackers.